This is Rob Fredette with HodgePod, and we have episode 17 tonight, and I'm looking forward to this one here. It's talking Johnny Cash, born on February 26, 1932 in Kingsland, Arkansas, and on September 12th, Johnny Cash died in 2003 in Nashville, Tennessee. He has a great legacy with country music. He had a calm, baritone voice. He was the known as the man in black. We'll learn more about that. He sold over 90 million records around the globe. And in 2017, Rolling Stone named him the number three greatest country artist of all time, beat out only by Hank Williams and Merle Haggard. And he made over 61 albums or record uh, produced and recorded 61 albums in his career. So my guest is Dave Killebrew tonight. And Dave, I'm looking forward to talking about Johnny Cash tonight. Rob, thank you. I'm really excited to have this conversation as well. Thank you so much. So you had a, uh, when you were growing up, you had a fascination with Johnny Cash when you were eight years old. So please explain that. And how is that uh, translated into your, as you've grown up about Johnny Cash? Well, Rob, the first record that I got was Folsom Prison Blues. And, you know, at that time, we had a thing called a single, and then you had an album. And it was on a record player, or a turntable, as some people like to refer to it. So that was back in the day. But I'll tell you, we wore those singles and those albums out, listing those songs over and over. In fact, I uh, loved that song so much, Folsom Prison Blues, that I decided to enter the local county fair that same year. Hmm. And actually, actually won it. But I started off, Rob, I said, hello, America, I'm Johnny Cash. And I jumped right into Folsom Prison Blues. Now, while I may have won the $25 savings bond, the neighborhood kids teased me unmercifully. And they'd always say, oh, there goes Johnny Cash all over the neighborhood. So anyway, but you know what? It never left me. Uh, Even after all this time, I still, you know, uh, maybe I can't beat Johnny Cash, but he was just my musical hero. That's awesome. Um, he was known as the man in black, but he had that, that calm bass baritone voice. Uh, you could hear him when he did interviews or when he was on television. You always knew it was Johnny Cash. And uh, his original name was John R. Cash. And uh, I guess they got it right when they called him Johnny Cash because uh, John R. Cash, of course, was his, his name. But uh, you need something to uh, get, the, uh, get the hook on the people who you're performing for. Well, the reason that he was called J.R., his uh, mother and father couldn't agree on what they wanted to name him. Uh, the father wanted to call him Ray, and the mom wanted to call him John, so they just settled for J.R. And when he entered the Air Force, he entered the Air Force, they uh, they actually gave him, they called him John. And then he later decided to call himself Johnny Cash. So that's it's a great evolution, but, you know, really he didn't have, he was just J.R. Cash until he entered the Air Force. Wow, that that's a nice little nugget right there. So, he did get his start at Sun Studio here in Memphis, and uh, we here in, we're here in Memphis, Tennessee, so Sun Studio is a huge tourist attraction here in Memphis. I've been there a couple of times. It's an awesome place to go. Um, Elvis got his start there and many other great artists. But uh, why was he called the Man in Black? Because uh, that kind of intrigues me a little bit. Uh, why was he called the Man in Black? Well, there's, there's several versions of that, um, but... You know, one of the things in, in his autobiography, he talked about the fact that, you know, they toured all over the country. You mm-hmm. know, they were basically in a car with luggage racks and everything else. It wasn't like these nice tour buses that uh, a lot of musicians enjoy today. So, you know, you had very limited access to wardrobe. And, of course, 
there may be a laundromat or something somewhere. But he said, look, black was the easiest to keep clean. It was also, he didn't, sometimes he didn't have time to change wardrobe and things. And so he felt like it was very practical. I mean, if you look at some of the other uh, entertainers at that time, like a Porter Wagner who had these sequin outfits and things like that, they actually had to have someone uh, in charge of professional cleaning. So to be practical back in that day, it was a lot better just to dress in black. Now, he did later come to say he stayed in black because he was performing for the imprisoned and the oppressed, uh, you know, disenfranchised. Mm. So it became kind of a rebel thing for him while all the other musicians or performers were flashy. He stayed in the the black uh, costume, if you will. Wow, wow. And, And again, I'm not an expert but a huge fan. So all my comments, let's lay them a little bit, uh, but uh, that's definitely, I've read in autobiography and then I've read other excerpts that that's pretty much the, the way that happened. And I like to wear black myself. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Well, when I did my Van Halen episodes, we, uh, the gentleman I did it with Sean Donovan, we always said we were fans, not experts. So uh, I know the feeling when you're a fan, you can just talk, talk, talk about your favorite, uh, your favorite uh, group or your favorite artist. So, uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee, there's a lot of history with music, and uh, there's the Stax Museum, there's Sun Studios, it's the birthplace of rock and roll. You got Beale Street with all the um, with all the uh, clubs and things downtown in Memphis. But uh, one thing that I was looking at, what I found fascinating was when I was looking up Johnny Cash, he met Elvis in 1954. Elvis was performing at a show. And uh, Johnny wrote, the first time I saw Elvis singing from a flatbed truck at a cat's drugstore opening on Lamar Avenue, two or three hundred people, mostly teenage girls, had to come out to see him. I find that incredible that Elvis was performing on a uh, flatbed truck at a drugstore in 1954, when you know about Elvis and the fame, but uh, it's it's pretty interesting when you see uh, Johnny Cash meeting Elvis back in 1954. Well, you know, actually, they became friends. Uh, I've seen some uh, YouTube uh, uh, videos or short videos where they they actually did impersonations of each other. Uh, Johnny <laughs> Cash did a pretty good impersonation of Elvis, and then Elvis, of course. Uh, Johnny Cash, if you watched his guitar strumming, he went up the neck. Uh, he was always uh, – that's back when you didn't have a lot of percussion at the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. you know Johnny Cash in the Tennessee, too, there was no chummer. For, uh, for a few years. So he would bang the, you know, what out of his guitar. And Elvis, too, you know, so the upright bass was your actual percussion. And then Johnny also had his guitar's percussion. So Elvis would just go up that Martin guitar neck, just, you know, imitating Johnny Cash, if you ever watch it. So they, they were good friends and they had a good sense of humor about each other. And their distinctive styles, you know, the Louisiana Hayride and all these things that they performed on together. A lot of people don't know that they were on a lot of those tours at the same time. Wow, that, that you know, this still boggles the mind. Uh, a cat's drugstore, Lamar Avenue. You think about Elvis and Johnny Cash. Did did he live in Memphis at one point? He did. Uh, he really only did, I think, a little over a year, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know he uh, he moved out to California after he started having some success, which was kind of interesting because you know he also had the acting bug like Elvis as well. It's something about those those guys in that day because of television and things like that. They became the first multimedia performers if you will oh yeah because uh, i did see some clips on youtube with uh 
Johnny Cash and his, uh, Chris Christoph for sending Stagecoach. It was pretty good. It was a, <laughs> he was he he, he just uh, he was an excellent. And the scene that I saw it was pretty interesting. That was about forty forty five years ago when in their younger days. But uh, that was a good scene. But yeah, it's interesting when you when you you, you drive around Memphis. You, you think about what well, was Elvis here or John, Johnny Cash. It's it's unbelievable that. Uh, you know, at some point that they were here, it, it still boggles the mind for me sometimes. So, I mean, it, Memphis is an incredible place. Just think about all the talent that's been, and, and here today as well. Just, you know, everybody thinks of Nashville, and no offense to Music City, but Memphis has got its share of talent. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of it undiscovered. Yeah, and uh, one of the another hidden treasures of Memphis is the Stacks, Stacks, uh, Stack Music, um, another great place to go visit, Sun Studio. So if you're ever in Memphis, go see those uh, areas. It's absolutely phenomenal to go check out the history of music. So uh, absolutely. What, what are some of the most influential albums, would you say, if you could just off the top of your head, you could say uh, for Johnny Cash and his most memorable, probably his most memorable songs, because uh, I think of Walk the Line. Um, what, were, what are some of the big hits for uh, Johnny Cash? Well, you know, again, it all hit me with uh, with Folsom Prison Blues. That's the one that drew me in. Of course, that was an album of, of itself. Um, if you look at his greatest hits, Hey Porter was like his first number one hit, if you will. One of my favorites that a lot of people don't recognize is Big River. It tells the story of the Mississippi River. And, you know, just names all the places. And I think that's another thing that attracted people to Johnny Cash. He was definitely... Uh, uh, across ge- geography of the U.S. because he would always work these different locations into his songs. And with that baritone voice and his storytelling ability, it wasn't just a singer. It was somebody that was a storyteller who was a singer. And so, I mean, I, you mentioned you know, 90 million, million copies, and I think it was up to like 150 different uh, albums recorded. If you also take his credits and the other performers that and duets and things like that, so it, it's almost uncountable what he did. Wow. Those guys were machines back in the day. I mean, they were in the studio. They were on the road. They were back in the studio. Very seldom had a life of their own because they were always working so hard. Yeah, and when when I'm not musically, I always say I'm not musically inclined. I couldn't, inclined. I couldn't tell you anything about a, a, a note or melody or anything like that. But his voice, he didn't – a lot of singers and, and things like that yell and scream. He didn't yell and scream, did he? He just seemed like he just was like talking when he was singing. Was that going he out too did. much on a limb? Well, no, I think that's, that's pretty close. One of the things I've learned in being a vocalist, if you're screaming all the time, you're going to have limited time that you're <laughs> going to be able to perform. Uh, Johnny having that deep baritone voice and talking, I think that was one of his ways of extending his, his concerts. He actually did continuous play. And when you think about the, the rock stars of the day that scream and holler, they have to take special care of their voices and they do lose them. And I think Johnny having that baritone voice and also his ability to tell stories kind of worked that in and kept people entertained. And uh, don't have anything to, to document that solidly, but I can tell you from firsthand experience, if you're screaming for two or three hours, you'll have nothing the next morning. I think Johnny was pretty good at preserving his voice and he was at such a great reader as well. I think he... He did like the New Testament. He read that through. And so just something about that baritone voice. In our day and time, he would probably know as much for his voiceover capabilities as his singing capabilities. So, uh, you know, he had a massive, massive career. So how would you describe his legacy pretty much, you know, his, his career? And 
um, everything that he accomplished, which was incredible. But how would you describe his legacy, um, you know, with his music or just everything else? Well, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. But one of the things when I'm talking to people about Johnny Cash, he's such a paradox, if you mm-hmm. think about it. He was an absolute rebel in country music. When you think about country music and, and how they were managing the performers of those times and wanted everybody to be a certain way, and act a certain way. And it was a family program too. Most of these television shows and most of these tours, it was for the entire family. And out comes Cash, you know, he's got a little bit of a language issue. He, he was drinking heavily. He was taking uh, speed or amphetamines. He was taking a lot of drugs to keep his performances going. So I would say the word to describe Johnny Cash was a paradox. But here's a guy super talented, um, but at the same standpoint, he was haunted by demons and trying to be in the music business. He had a young family at the time. Uh, you know, uh, don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, sure. but, you know, he left behind the wife. You know, he he, uh, he got married before he started his career. Most, I think, musicians usually have their career and get married, and so the, the wife kind of has an understanding about the career. Well, his first wife, Vivian, was kind of thrown into this. They had four children, and he's traveling all over the country and, and not home a lot. So I think, you know, for, for Johnny, you know, he's giving himself to the world and, and struggling with being a father and a husband at home. So that's why I kind of label him a paradox. He also, uh, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that he did some, so he used to do concert at prisons. Could you explain that? What was the reason for that? And I find that uh, the video I've seen is uh, from those concerts that he did in prison, the, the, the inmates in there really, you know, gravitated towards him. In fact, Merle Haggard heard him in concert. I'm, I may have to look my facts up. There's a there's a saying: get your facts first and distort them as you please. But I believe Merle Haggard was in San Quentin when Johnny Cash performed there. And so Johnny had a, a real desire to help those people in prison. I'm not sure exactly how he got that, other than I know he felt like uh, that the prisoners were oppressed. And so he would go and perform at no charge. He would pull, and he he would make these concert recordings, and it was very unusual at that time. Again, like I said, he was such a rebel. That wasn't something that Columbia or any of the, the record companies wanted. They wanted him performing these larger concert venues, and of course, family friendly. And I think Johnny loved performing for prisoners because he could really be his full self. I mean, he can, and uh, he did have a heart for the ministry. I think he was really, you know, he played gospel music before he started into country music. And I think he felt it's a way to share his faith at the same time. Interesting, because uh, he did two live albums, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, 1968, and Johnny Cash at San Quentin, 1969. And in 69, he had that international hit, and he even beat the Beatles by selling 6.5 million albums. That is, that's incredible. Yeah, it's un, it was unfathomable at that time that someone could do that. Interesting. That's uh, that's really something you don't see that. But uh, I don't know of any other um, musician or group who's ever who's ever done that. Um, it's it's a rare feat. Interesting. That that is that is that is that's in, that's incredible. Six point five million albums. He eclipsed he eclipsed the Beatles, and that's when the Beatles were in their in their heyday. So um, that is pretty awesome. Um, as far as his albums, um, would you say that uh, are they still resonating today? 
Uh, what do you think the legacy, you know, we talked about the legacy maybe a little bit earlier, but what, what would you say about his albums today? Are they still have a huge following? They do. In fact, with the digitization of music, uh, I hope I didn't slur over that word, but by oh. a lot of it, with all the different streaming avenues you have now, all of his albums have been uploaded. Uh, there's, there's really, it, it's great because a lot of the stories and stuff can be told by the internet and why did he write this song? What was he thinking? Back in the day, you know, you really didn't know a lot about the songs that were written. You just know you liked them. You liked the beat. Uh, with with all the, the streaming services you have, everybody has access to that now. And, you know, um, I know there's a there's a lot of frustration with artists because, you know, they're not making probably the mon- money they used to make with the recordings and things. But with streaming services, all, all the young people can just type in a few words and here's all of Johnny Cash's music right there in front of them. And then, of course, with uh, all the different uh, search engines, you can have you can come up with all these facts and figures about Johnny Cash just by typing in a few words. So it's very it's amazing. But yes, I would say, and I think there are a lot of young people that are drawn to Cash now. I actually last last year I was asked to do a a birthday uh, Johnny Cash birthday event uh, in Midtown. And I was amazed at the number of young people. We're talking young people in their 20s that knew Johnny Cash's songs and knew the lyrics better than I did. I was humbled by that. <laughs> so he's got a, he, he, I think his, uh, his uh, music is timeless. It just resonates with so many people. And um, so with streaming services, everybody has access to his music now. So you would have just talked uh, just now about you being a musician. So what uh, what exactly uh, you you do here in the Memphis area? Um, the name of your band and what? Uh, how did you get into this? The, the, get into the, the music business or doing what you're doing now with music? If you want to elaborate on that, well, I'll try to make this a, a long story short. But I actually started the music business when I was in college. Uh, I met some friends and we started a band. And in fact, my first job uh, was. Uh, in a, a refurbished Curtis Bass's television store, and we got paid forty dollars in all the beer we could drink. And I was also hooked on being a performer. After that, I mean, I've got uh, when I played professionally for three years, I think I have bar tabs that I owed more than I made. Kind of like that Blues <laughs> Brothers movie where you know the guys were that uh, you know Billy Bob's or you know the the the, the country music club that they, the Blues Brothers show up for, and they think they're going to get paid after they brought the show from the good old boys and all of a sudden their bar tabs over $300 and they're running for their lives. So I felt like I lived that for three years full time. And then after that, um, stepped away for a little bit of time in the band at that time was called aces and eights. We put it back together as, as weekend musicians and did that for, you know, for a little over 17 years and had a great time. When I moved to Memphis with my day gig, I was in carrier services. And so, I had to, with young young family, I had to stop playing, so I started playing more in church. And so met a ton of musicians from praise bands in Memphis. In fact, when COVID hit, uh, we all were playing, and we're like, well, guys, it was an opportunity to kind of reinvent the band again, in this case in Memphis. So we formed a, a group called Act, Acme Memphis Band that later became known as Acme Party Band. And uh, when we added the drummer, he just, gave us a lot of confidence that we could actually perform at most of the local venues. Uh, wow. I, we've been very blessed to play on Bill Street, Midtown. We played in, in North Mississippi. So, you know, it's, I, I tell people I'm still living the dream, so I feel very blessed. And I get to do a little bit of Johnny Cash in some of our shows as well. And I'll 
the band makes fun of me there, but every now and then I'll, I'll feel that baritone voice coming through and <laughs> do a couple of Johnny Cash songs. And so, you know, uh, again, just really blessed. And, and again, there are so many great musicians in Memphis. I'm humbled that our band is doing so well. I mean, we've done a lot of local venues, private parties. We've done weddings. The new thing is announcement parties. So, Rob, I could go on and on, but gotcha. that's us in a in summary. But all, all credit for our drummer who, who – when we were starting the band, our lead singer wasn't able to join us. And so the drummer looked at me and said, you, you sang backing vocals with your other band. I said, yeah, he said, it's yours. So he, he, <laughs> he, uh, he got me kicked off and we, we just had a blast and I, I get to do some solo work as well. So just, just having a blast. That is awesome. And, uh, you know, Memphis is known for their areas. You got Beale street, you got uh midtown, and then you got even Overton square, um, Lafayette. East Memphis. Is, is booming East, too. It's East awesome. Memphis, I mean, absolutely. You know, we're blessed. I won't name any of the clubs because they've all been good to us. Yeah, just say thank you guys for scheduling us. And in North Mississippi, they've really taken a like liking to us as well. So we keep these day trips as best we can. Uh, gotcha. You know, we're we're home in our when we're tucking in bed, and, and some of us sometimes we have to go to work the next day. So uh, it's like I tell my guys, I feel like I'm 20 years old when I'm on stage, and after performance, I go to bed, wake up 80. That's so. <laughs> incredible. So how many how many songs can you play from Johnny Cash? Since he, he can you play like uh I I don't know anything about music. I don't know how instruments are played. I don't know how to read uh you know sing or anything like that. I find it interesting when musicians can play and they can do their thing. Um you know, I just find it fascinating. Uh so how many songs can you play like for for Johnny Cash? Well, you know, that, that's a loaded question. One thing I love about country music, Rob, is that you've heard the saying three chords and the truth. So I can do a lot of country music. Uh, in fact, what I have done, I, there's probably about 12 Johnny Cash songs uh, on my iPad that I can pull up and I can I have about four or five that memorized that I can pull off. But the other thing is that when I'm performing on Bill Street, I meet people from out of town. I've had people from the United Kingdom. I've had people from South Africa. And I've had wow. people from St. Louis. I've had people from, you know, Kansas and Indiana. And they start singing. And I hear them. I'm like, those guys have incredible voices. So I just, I wave my hand. I said, get up on stage and sing with me. And so, you know, I've actually built my song list, especially Johnny Cash, by people making the request. I mean, you know, somebody will pull up their iPhone, hear the lyrics. And so the great thing about country music, it's usually a pretty easy chord pattern. And if you know the melody, you don't have to hit all the chords perfectly. It. And it's just it's just a blast. So, you know, uh, from memory, probably about 12 things. And then, you know, there's probably a, a bunch of somebody. It's, well, someone hits your tip jar, or if they, have, if they said they can sing it, it's unlimited as far as I'm concerned. So That's I'll awesome. leave it at that. That's awesome. That's awesome that you can perform and uh, again, Memphis is known for the music. It's a great place to see live music. I can tell you that it's it's phenomenal. So uh, people love to come here, Rob. They get oh yeah, they get caught up in it. They feel like they're yeah, they feel like they're part of an Elvis music. They'll be singing all up and down Bill Street or wherever they're going. And and that's one thing I love about the tourists is they don't have any inhibitions. They show up and you know, of course, there's there's beverages involved. So that also helps with the inhibition, but yeah. just having a blast. And you start talking to them, they tell you their story, and they, they, you know, they make a, they make a sacrifice to come here. So we want to make sure, and that's for anybody that's performing, make sure they have a great time because they've earned it. Absolutely. 
I'm starting to preach now, so I'll I'll, I'll back off. No, <laughs> that's fine. No, I, I mean I think I, I think you know Memphis ha- is known for its music and uh, it's it's totally awesome. But uh, Johnny Cash also had an acting career on top of his music career and. Did some uh, looking last night, and uh, some of the episodes, it just blows me away that I can't, when I saw it, was he was on Little House on the Prairie. Remember that show? I do remember that show. Great show. Great family show, by the way, too. Yes, it aired from 74 to 83, and he starred with Melissa Gilbert, Michael Linden, and more in 1976. The episode was called The Collection. Cash played a character named Caleb Caleb Hodgkiss. Cash's character is actually a villain as he pretends to be a reverend and tries to steal money from the citizens of Walnut Grove. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't catch that one, but I'll tell you what. I thought Cash was an excellent actor. He was. And, and, and not no offense to Elvis. The problem with Elvis is that so much of his acting was around music. And I think even Elvis struggled with that because uh, I know in, in the, the recent Elvis movie, you know, there was some of that reflecting on how he wanted to be a serious actor. And because of his music and the popularity, he always had to sing these fabricated songs. And again, this is Dave Kilbert. I'm not quoting. I don't want anybody gotcha. upset with oh, me yeah. in the music industry. But Johnny Cash was a legitimate actor. And, I, you know, I don't know if he took any courses or training, but he just seemed like he was a natural. He just really did a great job, in my opinion, for anything that I saw would be television or movies. Yeah, he, he was, and Chris Christopherson both. You know, yeah, both Chris Christopherson. I was looking here the uh, just today. Chris Christopherson. It's amazing how uh, these actors. I mean, these folks here. I mean, they're timeless when you see them in their younger days, and they look so. I mean, it's just incredible. They all look so young, and uh, you look back, and it's like uh, Chris Christopherson. He's in his eighties, and it's like wow. It's just like unbelievable. So in nineteen eighty six, Johnny Cash joined. His fellow highwaymen, uh, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and Waylon Jennings in the Western Stagecoach. It was a TV movie of the remake of the 1939 movie. And I don't know, without the 39, I think John Wayne was in that movie, but I may be mistaken. Um, but he was in the movie with those, act, uh, those uh, singers. And then in 1986... He teams up with Chris Christopherson again and Willie Nelson in the 1986 movie, The Last Days of Frank and Jesse James. I saw a clip of the one with Stagecoach when uh, he had a shotgun pointed at Chris Christopherson in the scene. It was pretty good. <laughs> well, I understand pl- he could handle guns. I mean, he was a big, you know, Second Amendment guy. He was, like I said, when he talked about the paradox, he would definitely, you know, kind of talk about those different things, but definitely a cowboy. I mean, he really had some skills from what, what I, what I read. That is, that, 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 I have to see that movie 19 of uh, stagecoach from uh, 1980. It was in the mid eighties. So that sounds good. So uh, I always like looking at facts of bands and how many, you know, records they sold or how many um, concert dates they played on, you know, a tour or anything like that. So while I was doing research for this, he played in nearly 4,300 show dates from wow. his 54 debut in West Memphis, Arkansas, to his last public appearance at the Carter Family Fold in Hilton's, Virginia. So um, incredible that he had his debut across the river here in West Memphis, Arkansas. Never knew that. That is that's incredible. I can't I can't imagine that performances. Like I said, those those guys were machines back in the day. 
all of us were spoiled compared to I mean, these guys were one town and the next, and they had these agents that just lined them up. Um, of course, this was, you know, pre-big television days and obviously no internet and all those things. In those days, you know, you did what you were told. You you were basically given your assignment, and if you wanted to make a living at it, they you you didn't stop. You know, they I think most of your bigger artists maybe do 100 or so dates a year. They were doing, you know, close to 300. I've heard, you know, Hank Williams and some of the others. I mean, it was just, they were just workaholics, or their agents were workaholics, and booked them and booked them. Interesting. That's uh, I, I always find it interesting when um, where groups or musicians start, and uh, I find that really uh, really cool. I read somewhere years ago that Billy Joel started when he was starting out. He was at uh, Lafayette's here in Memphis, over in Overton Square. I, it's just incredible when they start. It's it's really cool. Yeah. It's just it's. Just the way you see, like Van Halen used to play high school dances and weddings. They used to play five gigs a night, all day, seven days a week, and they they mastered the craft. And it's just how hard you work and and the work you put in, it pays off later on. So it's really fascinating how uh, musicians can do that. Rob, I did a lot of holiday ends or a mod ends, you know, on Monday night. You know, you're playing for a couple people. I guess that's one thing I'm so grateful for now. I used to take those things for granted. When we were playing, you know, it's a lounge lizard. There's only a couple of people in. You know, I think it's an important day that those, those two people that are in there might be two special people. So whether you're playing for two or 20 or 200 or 2,000, try to give your best effort. And I think those guys in the day did that. I think they were truly, they honored the profession and truly, you know, uh, I, you know, like I said, gave it all. They, they sacrificed a lot. They did, and you definitely do sacrifice a lot, all the work you put in. And also here in Memphis at Sun Studio, uh, the famous million-dollar quartet, the members were Elvis, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, who'd recently passed away, and Johnny Cash. Yeah. That is a uh, Mount Rushmore performers in at Sun Studio that day. Yeah, thank God he pushed record. That's yeah. all I know. Thank goodness. You know, Sam, Sam had the... the the wherewithal to say, let's just record this, even though the guys didn't know. I think it was, I think it was all gospel songs. A great interview with Dave Killerbrew. Thank you to Dave for joining me for the Johnny Cash episode here for HodgePod. And here's a couple of uh, cuts from Johnny Cash. He did an interview in 1993, and he talked about his start here in Memphis. And uh, let's give it a listen. I think uh, the first time I knew what I wanted to do with my life was when I was about four years old. I was listening to an old Victrola playing a railroad song. The song was called Hobo Bill's Last Ride. And I thought that was the most wonderful, amazing thing that I'd ever seen, that you could take this piece of wax and music would come out of that box. From that day on, I wanted to sing on the radio. That was a big thing in the, when I was growing up, singing on the radio. And uh, the ultimate, I mean, the, the extent of my dream was to sing on the radio station in Memphis. Even when I got out of the Air Force in 1954, I came right back to Memphis and started knocking on doors at the radio station. And I tried several things. See, this was 1954, and uh, I grew up in the 40s, and I heard... All these great speeches like Winston Churchill, his uh, most famous or infamous 
uh, infamous commencement exercise speech was one that consisted of seven words. He stood before this graduating class and said, never, 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 never give up. And then somebody else said, every day in every way I'm getting better and better. I didn't especially believe that about myself, but I said it every day and I made myself believe it and it worked. But I never, I persevered. I never gave up my dream to, quote, sing on the radio. That is amazing. And remember earlier in the episode here, he talked about seeing Elvis on a flatbed truck at Catch Drugstore on Lamar Avenue in Memphis, two to three hundred people showed up. And it's still hard to believe that Elvis was on a flatbed truck. That is unbelievable. And he also talked about the persistence when he went to Sun Studio to talk to Sam Phillips. And check this out. This is uh, this is amazing. I went and knocked on that door and was turned away. I called back for an interview three or four times, was turned away. So one morning, I found out what time the man went to work. I went down with my guitar and sat on his steps until he got there. And uh, when he got there, I introduced myself, and he said, you're the one that's been calling. I said, yeah. You know, I had to take the chance he was either going to let me come in or he was going to run me off, turn me down again. But uh, evidently... He woke up on the right side of bed that morning. He said, come on in, let's listen. So he did. He said, come back tomorrow and bring some musicians. So I went down to a garage where I worked, where my brother Roy worked, and met and was introduced to two musicians down there, brought them back to the studio, and the next day was our first session. Check that out. So the next time you drive by Sun Studio, think about Johnny Cash sitting there waiting for Sam Phillips to show up. And the persistence paid off. 90 million albums is pure proof that Johnny Cash was awesome. 